children's brains develop at all different ages and stages up until they're 25. And a lot of people forget that. They will say to me, if I don't get 100% in that test, I'm a failure. Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anna, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics relating to the development and growth of children. You'll also get practical tips and advice you can implement. If you have any specific topics you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. Today, I'm really pleased to have on the show Dr. Hayley Smith. She's a clinical psychologist and a mother of two boys. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Hayley. Hi, John. Hi, yeah. It's good to be here. Good. Um, first off, can you give our listeners a definition of what SEN is? Yeah, it's special education needs um, for children in schools um, that need additional support for a variety of reasons. And sometimes that's specific learning difficulties. It can be because they have neurodiversity, they have ADHD, ASD or dyslexia, or it can be social emotional difficulties um, for a variety of reasons. But these children need additional support in school. Great. Uh, and it feels as though since COVID, this idea of kids' mental health, kids with learning difficulties has really become more more prevalent. And um, How do you think the education system is coping? Not very well at all. I think the education system is completely overwhelmed. And yes, children's mental health is, is in an absolute crisis. And the mental health systems are completely overwhelmed. So certainly schools are. And it's a big ask for the education system to to soak it up but I believe and what I'm seeing in my clinical practice is that a lot more children are distressed and having mental health difficulties because of their experiences of school whereas in the past you know say 10-15 years ago the children I saw they'd had family bereavements they'd got family life difficulties going on you know specific traumas that they'd been through and we, we were dealing with a lot of that those kind of issues presenting issues and now I would say 99% of the, the children that come through my door are talking about trauma and mental health difficulties linked to their school experiences. Wow that's that's really interesting I would, would never have thought that mm. and I guess sort of going back to you obviously as a clinical psychologist you are at the coalface you are seeing people in your surgery both children and parents what are they saying to you what what, what are you hearing? Children, um, and I see a range of children in terms of their, I guess, their academic abilities and the, the difficulties that they have and the reasons that they struggle with school. So it's not a certain type of children that I see or, or a certain type of difficulty. But no matter how academically able a, a child is, one of the things that, that a lot of children are talking about is that the amount of work, the, the pressure, because of the amount of information um, and things that they have to process it's absolute overload and so cramming too much information into the curriculum in the school day the children are picking up on that and they're struggling with it just just the, the immense amount of information having to learn and then of course if they have homework on top of that their brains are just completely fried and really struggling they're tired they're exhausted and then if they're 
any other additional pressures on on top of that so tests and exams and and revising it's just a you know burning them out and of course children need to fit other things in their life don't know that you know their activities and their hobbies and their family life so just fitting everything in just cramming all that information into their brains and having to absorb it and the pressure to know it to to regurgitate it in tests is is just difficult for a lot of children interesting so it sounds like the the system as a whole is kind of putting this pressure on and can you go into any detail about what is it about the system that that's not working i mean has it changed over the years you talk about the added pressure of homework the added pressure of testing which definitely i'm aware of what is it about the system more recently that has really kind of led to this i guess epidemic if you will well, you know, as the, the children were coming through my doors talking about all the pressure and the build-up of it, and I'm seeing the impact on their mental health, I did some some research on the development of the, the curriculum, the education curriculum, and what seems to be at the crux of it from, from what I've read is that back in the late 60s, early 70s, teachers started to, you know, it's right the way up to the age of 25, children and young people are developing and will always develop because you can't change brain development that's just that's neuroscience that's just the way humans are um so teachers were aware of that and they were practicing in a way and using teaching methods to cater for all different children's needs of where they were at in their development they were using teaching methods that suited most children in the class so a lot of project-based learning play-based learning um, active learning, more movement in the day, slower pace, not cramming loads of information in. So you're giving children's brain the right chance to absorb the right amount of information, not putting too much pressure on and making it enjoyable and engaging. The government seemed to step in and wonder what the teachers were doing and it looked more like just play. You know, they didn't quite understand it. But rather, rather than look at all the research that was backing up the teachers' methods, they decided to take over the curriculum more so because it used to be more teacher-led and local authority-led and central government having a bit of an overview. Over the years, since the 80s, the government have just micromanaged, you know, more and more what teachers teach and how they teach, but it's not linked to any evidence. It's not linked to the research on how to best teach and what to best teach. So the, the information that's being taught is... It, children find it irrelevant they find it dry and boring and what we know about learning is that if children are interested in it it captures their interest they'll intrinsically learn it and hold it a lot better they'll remember it better they can't relate to it and it's meaningless to them and like you know kids don't want to learn about subordinate clauses in English they don't want to learn about the structure of English language they want to be excited and creative and use their brains in different ways they'll engage in that and they'll they'll remember it better so you know because the government have taken over and they're not listening to experts over the years many people have tried to tell the government that it's not working that children are struggling they were pre-warned you know when they developed the curriculum over the years and it's been reviewed at several points professors and people who know the research have warned the government and said children will buckle under this pressure they will absolutely buckle and the amount of testing that's being done is too much for children, too young, um, and it's all too much. 
but the government just aren't listening. And so this is the problem. So it's causing that amount of stress to the children because they can't keep up and not interested or motivated. And then on top of that, so you've got it sandwiched, you've got the curriculum, which is wrong for children and doesn't account for children developing at different ages and stages. Then you've got the testing, which ex the government expects children to be at the same stage, at the same age, which, of course, brains don't work like that. Children are made to feel stupid when they're not at the same stage and they're constantly being compared to their peers, which is not healthy for children because they're all good at different things. That's what us, that's what people are, aren't they? We all have different strengths and, and different difficulties and that, that should be embraced, but it's not. So children feel rubbish about themselves. They're stressed about all the testing. Um, they don't know what they're good at. A lot of children come to me when they're teenagers and they have no clue what they're good at. They feel rubbish at everything. They don't know what they're interested in. They've given up because they've been oppressed that much and forced into boxes and told to learn certain stuff that they're not interested in. They don't even know what they're interested in. The, the, the one thing that gets me, I mean, I've got, got two kids, um, nine and seven, and within English and learning the, the grammar. So you you rightly pointed out um, subordinate clause, et cetera. And, you know, I'm there with my son and he's there asking me why we need to know this. And I actually can't give him an answer because I'll be honest with you, in my professional career, I've never had to know it. I might be being unfair. I'm just wondering, I mean, would people like journalists need to know it? I, it it's something that I've never really understood why. It doesn't seem fit for purpose. Even journalists have written about it and said they, they write for a living and they don't have to know what subordinate clause is. So why do five and six-year-olds need to know it? It's irrelevant, isn't it? And if you're dyslexic and you struggle with language as it is or struggle with the, the technical side of it, because children with specific learning difficulties are often really creative or they can be. So, you know, it's, it's all these wordy, technical, structure boring things that children don't want to learn about they're not interested in it and I don't see what how it's relevant to them and they don't see how it's relevant and of course if you're trying to learn about this stuff you're not engaged in you're going to be fidgety in the classroom you're going to struggle to focus you'll get kids having showing potentially difficult behavior what looks like difficult behavior but actually they're just saying I'm bored I'm struggling to learn this or I feel stupid I, I don't get this or you know what? What's the point here? Or they just switch off or zone out? And the, the government have, uh, will tell teachers through their teacher training and through papers that they write and for advice how to manage children's behaviour, which again is not linked to research or best practice. It's basically through control and using methods that that tend to shame children and and don't take into account their levels of concentration or they don't take into account why they're behaving in a certain way so I hear a lot from kids that they're getting detentions because they're not sitting still they're not facing forward they're not wearing the right uniform they're, they're running in the corridor they're mildly disruptive behaviors that I think I know and not just I think it's not just my opinion a normal children you know child behavior for children it's not naughty behaviour, it's just normal behaviour. All kids with ADHD will struggle to sit still in a classroom and they shouldn't be punished for it. So you've got this, this awful curriculum with too much information, all this testing, all this stress and pressure on kids. And you've got all this behaviour management on top, which is punitive and controlling. So the kids are oppressed and suppressed from that side. 
and pressured on the other side. So it's no wonder they've got mental health problems and teachers really are just doing what they're told. You know, Ofsted come to inspect them and make sure they're doing it and, and the government are quite hard on what they want and schools get rated bad if they don't do it. And you, I think you make a good point as well, and point just to note that this isn't aimed at teachers. As you say, no. teachers have got a lot on their plates. I mean, I, I, I know my wife, my wife's a teacher. Um, and as you say, they're dictated to to some extent. So I think just want to make it clear um, for our listeners that actually this isn't having a go at teachers because no. I, was, I, I couldn't do that job. I, I completely respect what they do. But as you say, it's actually, I guess, the system that they're in that's been dictating what they do and how they do it. Yeah, it's such a political game. And when I go into meetings, I always talk about the politics of it. I always, with teachers and, and you know, with my own children and with with children that I, I'm supporting, I talk about the wider political pressures and how that's impacting on our conversations, on the targets, on, and then the child. You know, let's talk about the child at the centre of this. But you have to account for what's going on politically and, in, and the pressure that schools and teachers are under because that it does impact on the children and and teachers mental health you know I I think teachers are really stressed trying to deliver this curriculum and try to trying to put children in a box instead of having the freedom and the autonomy as they should they should teachers should be trained in the right way they should be paid better and given the autonomy to do the jobs that they do very well absolutely Um, yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, You've got two kids, two boys, and I believe they both got got sent. They have. Uh, um, my ten-year-old boy is dyslexic, and he's got mild dyspraxic tendencies as well, which shouldn't be underestimated because it affects planning and organising, and and his memory and and his concentration. So that makes school hard. And some some disabilities are more hidden you know when children struggle especially boys I think when they struggle to organize themselves and and they can't concentrate it's often I find put down to just being a boy um so it can be a bit of a hidden one but um, my youngest is got sensory processing difficulties and visual stress and we suspect he's dyslexic and we suspect he has ADHD um but we're working through the assessments with him yeah and I think you're in a very very unique position so you've got two kids with learning challenges and obviously you're a clinical psychologist. How have you found navigating the school system? Have you been able to get the help that you need to, to help your kids? Um, it's been up and down. It's not, it's not been without its challenges. I've had many sleepless nights. And I, I think as a psychologist, I feel different going into a meeting compared to going in as a parent talking about my own children. So it's a lot more stressful for different reasons. You feel quite disempowered, I think, as a parent. And it's a hard position to be in. And you, you children often behave differently in school to they do at home. So, you know, talking to teachers about home life and, and children not wanting to come into school and... I'm very mindful that I don't want teachers to think it's something they're doing that's upsetting my children. It's just that the whole school experience is tricky for them. So they are anxious and they often don't want to go to school. And, you know, my youngest has difficulties with his friends because he's all over the place in in his behaviour and struggles with his emotions. And, yeah, sometimes it's been a real battle to carve the time out to help 
school would understand my children and get the right support in place. And it takes time. I've found it takes time and a lot of stress and worry as a parent, a lot of stress and worry. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of parents listening who maybe have children in the same situation may find this actually reassuring and a bit of comfort to know at least, you know, someone who's a professional like yourself, who's, I guess, on the other side, uh, mm. equally has has the challenges um so thank you for for sharing um what i'm going to do now is put something forward that probably is a bit contrary you you'll have some people that that was may say that you know what in this day and age you know where the woke society we're going over the top we're wrapping our kids up in cotton wool let kids be kids let's not label them what mm. would you say to those people who who tend to have those views they probably don't fully understand um, what children are experiencing. And I do because I hear them and I see them. I see the impact on them, not my own children and the children that I see. And if you look on at the surface level, quality of life is different to how it used to be. Let's say it's different. We do. Perhaps a lot, a lot of kids may have more material things or they may not be hit with a cane at school or there may be lots of things in life that people think, well, kids have it easy these days. You know, they used to be, it used to be they should be off and out and, and nobody was really taking care of them or thinking about their emotions. And we know a lot more about that these days. So yes, we have a lot more conversations about children's mental health and emotional well-being and how to parent them and um but I think it's never been as pressurized in the education system as it is now kids um years ago you know they didn't have all this testing they didn't they didn't have all this pressure that kids have today and the kids that I'm seeing you know they, they feel that they have to get a hundred percent in exams I find it crazy they will say to me if I don't get a hundred percent in that test I, I'm a failure or I'm stupid, or if I, you know, if I get an answer wrong, you know, that, that I'm rubbish, I don't know what I'm talking about. And the education system has created that pressure because I don't remember that as a child. I don't remember feeling that amount of pressure. So I think people who say we're wrapping kids up in cotton wool don't really understand. They're not really connected to what kids are experiencing in school today. Great, thank you. And we've talked about our system and, and what we're not doing right. Do you have any examples of other systems, other countries that, that you'd say are a great example, which is an education system that addresses all types of children and all different types of ways of learning? Yeah, I mean, Scandinavian countries are excellent in, in terms of looking at the research and evidence base on, on how children best learn and how to teach them. Uh, in, a, in a way that they're educated, especially in Finland, that's that's known as having the best education system. And they really are an example to, to everybody. So that children don't start formally at their education until they're seven. Uh, they have slightly smaller classes. They have one teacher for, for the first six years who can really develop a relationship with them and understand each child well. They have a lot more breaks during their day to, to snack and rest their brain. They do a lot of play-based learning when they're young. Uh, they don't do testing, um, SATs. They hardly do any exams. And yet when they come out of education, um, when they're 16 and 18, their education level is really high because their interests have been taken into account. They're engaged in a way that their brains work. And, and the education system is built on evidence and research and best practice 
and it's that simple really and it's not that's a case with smaller classes you need more money but if you've got a system like that you're not having to spend all this money on loads of TAs and loads of additional psychologists and, and different special specialists who are brought in to mop up all the difficulties kids are having because their needs aren't being met in the first place so I think you know, I, I think there's that many adults around around our kids and I hear there's that many teachers and TAs coming in and out and that many specialists in and out. So there's a lot of money being thrown into the system and a lot of people trying to help kids where actually if you just, if they were calm and safe and taught in a way in school and nurtured in a way that they all flourish and they felt good about themselves, because people forget it, in those early days for children, it's not just about education. They are in school many, many hours of the week and they're developing a sense of themselves, aren't they? They're developing their ability to manage emotions, they're developing their social skills, their self-identity. So if you don't get it right and they don't flourish, it's not just impacting their education, it's impacting all of that. Thank you. Why do you think we continue with this style of education, knowing that it's not better for the kids? As I said, it's as though we've... We've chosen a path and regardless of what we see, what we hear, what we know, we continue to the detriment of our children, whether they have sent or not. What's your view? Every government that's come in has looked at the education system and just thought, well, you know, we're focused on exam results and, you know, it's doing well. We're doing better when it comes to exam results because the amount of pressure that's put on kids you know, the kids that make it through education and don't drop out and don't end up being homeschooled, those ones that stay in the system, yes, the grades are generally higher and that's all that the government seem to be focused on. So they don't, my view is they don't want to change it because that's their focus, purely that. You know, and they think, okay, so if we've got some children that have additional needs, let's throw some resources in to help those children and keep the system as it is. Whereas, um, you know, I'm seeing so many children struggle, not like you say, not just kids with SEND, but just it's not child centred. It's not child focused at all. So all children would benefit from a from a system that's child led. It's really frustrating. It's so frustrating. But governments have such power and they've developed such a, um, a control over over dictating the education system and not just the information that's taught in the curriculum but how it's taught and that's not a legal or a statutory thing but they use coercion and training and Ofsted to really enforce how teachers teach the methods that they use and it's just become I think it's become the norm it's gone on for so long that it's become okay this is what our education system is and it seems no matter how many people chant and scream about it the, the government will their response is we'll put more money into mental health, we'll put a counsellor in every school, we'll, you know, we'll review the system for children with SEN. That's not the answer. And that's what I email to them when I'm when I'm uh, in touch with them because <laughs> I like to email the, the education department, the education secretaries when they're in. <laughs> it's interesting because it, it appears to me that that the approach is I mean my mum always used to say, you know, prevention rather than cure and, and it looks as though they've taken a completely opposite approach in terms of actually let's kind of get the problems and try and fix them as opposed to stopping those issues happening at the at the start cool. exactly yeah. and yeah. what i'd like to kind of focus on now please 
pretty uh, <laughs> depressing view of the education system. And mm. what I want to look at now is going to focus on parents and guardians and actually what they can do. You know, unfortunately, this, I guess the system is as it is, um, and it doesn't look like it's going to be changing anytime soon. So I wouldn't mind just turning our attention to, okay, you know, what tips, what advice would you have for for parents, particularly parents with SEND, in terms of what they can do to, I guess, get some of that power back to help their children as much as possible? I always think it's helpful for parents to start with getting their children assessed for the difficulties that they have. And some schools will provide assessments, but many won't. So unfortunately, often it falls on a parent to, to fund those assessments. But but in the first place, push, push and push it for your school to do it. Push to get into CAMS to get assessments. Push for an educational psychologist to assess your child because they will um, but also if you can pay for them because if you've got got assessments you've got a document you've got a report that says these are the areas of difficulties my my child struggles with on paper that you can take into schools and sit down with schools and say okay so this is my child this is this is what they're good at so let's all forget that this is how you know what they enjoy this is what they're good at these are their struggles this is the evidence of how to support them. And then the school could turn around and say, you know, that's fine, but we haven't got the resources to do that. That's a different conversation. In the first instance, what are the child's needs? It's so important to, to I think, to be able to go into a school and say, these are my child's needs. And then if the system can't do anything about that you know sometimes they can and sometimes they can't that's a whole different conversation but identifying need in the first place is is a really good start and then read up on it read up on the areas that, that your children are struggling with and know your know your facts because I think as a parent walking into a, a meeting with teachers and other professionals if you if you know your stuff you, you feel empowered and confident you know your child anyway because you, you know you're an expert on your child so always remember that no one knows your child better than you. No, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I guess the next question is: if you have a child that's that's being diagnosed with with SEN, how would you go around best communicating that to the child in a mm -hmm. way that empowers them, in a way that that doesn't dent their confidence? Yeah, it's a really good question because and important for for kids. I talk to children and parents a lot about about brains, just different brains, and I keep it really simple and playful for kids. And just matter of fact that we're all born with the brain that we've got. We all have our strengths. We all have our difficulties. Um, if you've got something specific going on, it's good to talk about it, you know, ADHD and how it affects your brain and how it might make you feel because it, it doesn't just affect one thing for a child. It'll affect it will always affect multiple things in their life um it, you know it's probably going to affect how they talk potentially to others how you know their peer relationships how they cope in school their view of themselves but just knowing that there's nothing wrong with them they're not they're not ill they're not damaged it's a label but really their brain's just wired a bit differently perhaps or they've had an experience in life that that's made it their their brain development so that learning is hard so I always talk to them about how can we um, work together to help adults, help teachers, help mom and dad understand your brain. How can you understand your brain so that you can feel better about yourself and you can, 
let people help you you know you can even to your friend you can say well my, my brain's like this so it means this it means I, I struggle with tying my shoelaces or concentrating or I might say something before I think about it and then as a kids can be aware can't they and supportive hopefully <laughs> yeah and that's some great pieces of advice there and actually to, to your point about brains working differently there's um, a lady that is really championing dyslexia and i was listening to her talk the some time ago and to your point about different children different brains so from i think she she had dyslexia her kids had dyslexia and there's this interesting stat that i think maybe three or four percent of the population are dyslexic however i think 30 or 40 percent of entrepreneurs are dyslexic so i think to your point that looking at sen and learning challenges you know there are always ways in which you know there might be some maybe negative errors but there are also probably some positive errors to counteract that so i just think some great piece of advice there to kind of understand it and and talk about it in a way that as I said empowers the children so thank you very much for that that's all right oh and by the way i always talk to kids about the education system to empower them i always say you know the system isn't geared up for kids with your brain you know if you've got dyslexia um you've got adhd or you've got asd the system right now is not you know it's it's trying to teach kids or you know the pressure is not to focus on difference but to, to teach all children the same way so I said that's really tough when you've got a different brain to be in that system so that empowers children they love to their ears prick up and for once somebody's not talking to them about you know how rubbish they are or what's wrong with them like it's a system that's broken that that means it's harder for them and and that's empowering for them that's really interesting. I would never have thought about that, actually, but that's a really, really good way to to approach. And actually, I can imagine that kids feel really supported yeah. um, by that and definitely know that someone's on their side. So, yeah, thank you for that. Um, Dr. Haley, we've come to the end of the of the podcast. Um, really fascinating, really thought-provoking. Um, so thank you for your time. If anyone wants to get in touch, find out more about you, how can they do that? Um, uh, drop me an email. Um, it's um, doctor, so it's um, dr.hayleyjsmith at gmail.com. And I'm more than happy to chat to anyone. I don't, I don't have the time to kind of put people in for assessments and therapy because I'm absolutely overwhelmed, but I, I'll always chat to people and, and answer questions by email. Brilliant. Um, Dr. Hayley Smith, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. You can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new episode is released. And remember, reviews are always welcome as it helps new listeners find me.